Hey everybody, welcome to the Story Studio Podcast. Apologies to all you people who join, we're going to join us live because it's not working. <laughs> I, I, I can talk to you guys because you're not actually here. Um, however, if you are interested in an intermittent, maybe the show will be live. You can go to sterlingandstone.net slash live show and sign up for email reminders of stuff that may or may not happen. Which is We really did like the two weeks while... Um Zoom was cooperating though. That was that was fantastic. We enjoyed the last two live shows, everybody. Yeah, Sean said that it was doing it now just to ruin our credibility because we were, like <laughs> it wasn't our it was. fault. It just wouldn't work. I think it was because we bumped it up for half an hour or two because uh, this has been a big catch up week. And um, Johnny's been awesome. He's basically like, "What can I do to to help you catch up?" Johnny and I have both been ridiculously behind in uh, separate ways. And we both had to kind of like crush to get done this week. And I have a big next week is all week. Um, but this week it was just trying to buy a little bit of time whenever possible. And I said, oh, 2.30 on the podcast would be awesome. So we already nudged it a half hour forward. And then Zoom wouldn't work for 15 You're like the guy who argues that that giant roast should have like an eighth of a teaspoon of salt rather than a sixteenth. <laughs> something like that. That shit's going to make a difference. A half an hour. It is. It's rhythm and flow. It's it's rhythm and flow. Rhythm and flow. I, I'm at, at eight thousand words today, and I'll probably hit ten. But well, that half hour made a difference. Speaking of rhythm and flow, let's uh, let's welcome Mix Master Jamie Davis to the podcast. <laughs> uh, Jamie, wiki wiki, yeah, that's me. <laughs> so we're going to uh, talk. Uh, what? How would you? How would you describe the 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 character of this podcast? Because we released the Smarter Artist Locker, and we we asked for. Um, like case studies or success stories to, because we always give our success stories. We give our, or our updates. Sometimes they're not successful. And it was like, well, let's talk to other people. So, um, we're going to talk to, to Jamie today. Does that meet everybody's understanding of what we're talking about today? Oh yeah. Yeah. This was actually, um, Neve's idea and I, and I love it because, um, I mean, going back all the way when when Neve asked for stories, I'm not surprised at all that Jamie's story was in there because Jamie's always somebody who has stories to tell, um, and he's somebody who will raise his hand to share with others, and he's just a really generous spirit. And Jamie's one of those people who actually, if somebody came up and said, you know, what do you guys do? Um, or I guess maybe in, in previous times, what do you guys do? What is the Smarter Artist all about? What is what is that? event that you had? What is your goal? Jamie's kind of like such a great example of what that goal is. And it's sharing with people who really do want to absorb. They really aren't looking for any, I've never, ever seen Jamie come up and say, Hey, got any shortcuts? <laughs> like <laughs> never, never, ever, ever once. He's, he's always willing to do the work and even miserable stuff. That's not fun. Like waiting, <laughs> <laughs> right? Which is the hardest thing us indie authors have to do because we are spoiled. We just are. We're spoiled. Everything comes fast to us. Even when it feels like we're waiting a long, long time, it's it's just not compared to history. <laughs> and so um, Jamie's always been patient. Jamie's always done the work. Jamie's always played the long game, whether that means going wide or just being kind of ahead of the curve. And so he's such a great first guest for this, this kind of conversation. So very much welcome, Jamie. Oh, it's always happy to be here. I always love chatting with you guys, and um, and uh, hopefully someone can find some uh, semblance of of uh, some information that's useful to them out of this um, episode. Well, before we really get rolling, I think we should do something cool, and I think Jamie should go first, 
And I just kind of <laughs> want to hear Dave's response. <laughs> yeah, I do too, actually. Um, I was actually thinking about that. Well, um, uh, I was away on a family vacation um, to Florida about a week and a half ago. I'm uh, sorry for all of that. That's it. Dave, oh. Dave's already like, okay, you're done? You went on family yeah, vacation? Oh, no, family no, no, vacation no, and Florida? It gets better. Oh, even even from your standpoint, um, so I uh, we were there for Mother's Day, and my my son and his wife were there, and my daughter and her fiance, and our other daughter was there with us, and we were all hanging out doing Mother's Day presents. And my son and his wife announced that we're going to be grandparents in November. So first grandbaby, really excited, and um, I even came up with an awesome grandfather name after I farmed it out to the to Facebook for suggestions. Oh, what's Ooh. the grandfather's name? Obi, short for Obi Wan, so I can call oh, the grandkids Padawans. Yeah. Oh, yeah. see now Obi, you might be able to get away with. Um, sometimes when people choose their own grandparent name, it's just like asking the universe to like give you a middle finger back. Um, no, I, I know T-ball. kids, so I figured a kid can pronounce Obi. Oh yeah, they can totally pronounce Obi. My my favorite story on this is I, I forget who told me this. It was probably my mom that she knew of some people who, um, in a very pretentious cosmopolitan way decided they wanted to be grand mare and grand pair. <laughs> and, um, I don't remember what one of them was. I, no, no, no. I remember what they were, what they came out of the kid's mouth as, and what they became known as forever was groat and old groat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have a similar story to that because my, my father wanted to be grandfather. He didn't want to have any fancy name. He just wanted to be known as grandfather. And if, my son was the oldest, and so he became grandfather. Yeah. <laughs> and the, for the longest time, the kids called him that. So, yeah. That's the kind of name that can stick just, just out of, like, principle. That's where you get And it wasn't all that wrong. Either, so. <laughs> well, that is, a, um, that is a wonderful something cool. Congratulations on that. That sounds – and that's, that's your first. You mentioned that to us earlier, yep. so that is especially yep. exciting. Great, great. Dave didn't have a reaction to that. He must be okay I, I with grandchildren. No all, I so. did react. Could you not hear me? He, he reacted no. to the Florida part. Oh, no. okay. Oh, the Dave, grand, you, grandkids, man. What are you going to – oh, okay. All right, all right. Your Even son, Dave your has son a soft spot you. for grandchildren. No, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Dave, your son tells you you're going to be a grandpa. What's your actual reaction? Well, considering that his son is like, what, 12 right. or something? <laughs> all right. It's five. Like, wow, old. you started early. <laughs> no, I'd be happy. Why wouldn't I be happy? Uh, I, 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 <laughs> why wouldn't I be happy? Is that the name I, of your autobiography? I don't know how to answer that question. You actually just completely flummoxed me. That's why I exist. <laughs> um, all right. My something cool. I'm actually going to suggest that everybody dodge a bullet on this one. So, uh, Ooh, that is cool. When I saw The Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it wasn't. It's not Game of Thrones. It's uh, I actually I, I've completely dodged the entire eight season bullet. I haven't seen any of the episodes. Um, I've just heard all the ranting and raving and hilarity surrounding it, including the Starbucks cup, the water bottle. <laughs> I've seen it all. I've read it all. Um, if you want something legit cool this week, you can see the full trailer for uh, Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> Oh, you're. No, wait a minute. Is that the end of that story? We dodged a bullet on Game of Thrones. I've seen the Starbucks cup. See you guys. The legit cool thing is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The thing you've got to dodge. We watched the pilot episode of uh, The Society on Netflix. Oh, yeah. 
so it has a cool premise. I'm like, all right, all right. Um, I, I'm okay with this. I'm, you know, we're looking for something to watch. The pilot was fine. Some sloppiness, but some genuine mystery. I want to see what's happening. And the second episode was bad. The third episode was worse. And the fourth episode, it's just turned into Riverdale. So we're bailing. Riverdale season three, Sean. <laughs> Papa Poutine. All Isn't it needed it by was the same Papa people? Poutine. No, no, it's not. You're oh. thinking of Sabrina or Nancy Drew, or there's a whole franchise going shows on. Shows they got <laughs> a lot, um, but but uh, the the premise itself of the Society, Dave, is something you would really like, and it's something we would brainstorm. But we would handle it so differently after the pilot. Yeah, yeah. it looked good, but filmed like the worst teenage show ever. It's the CW. It just yeah, turned yeah, into the yeah, CW. Yeah, and there are some shows on CW that are good, but this didn't look like one of them. Well, this is on Netflix, but it looks like yeah, it belongs I mean, yeah. on the CW. And um, anyway, my something cool is bailing on episode four, halfway through. <laughs> I highly recommend everybody who watches it does the same thing. Um, I don't really have one. Um, I have a show that I'm watching that I don't like very much, but that's not something cool. <laughs> I want to know what show is that? Um, well, you know, Robin and I have a narrow spectrum of things that we can watch. And so um, have you seen the tile for that the show with Ron Weasley, with Rupert Grint, I think oh, his name yeah. is? It's called Sick no, Note. I haven't. And then uh, we're like into season two, and I'm just like, this show doesn't make a goddamn bit of sense. Like, it just, oh, none of the wait, motivations wait, wait, make any sense. None wait, of, nothing. Wait, wait. I think i saw a season of that and didn't realize ron weasley was in it was that the he's one hard where, to miss is it the open in the opening um scene does he learn that he's got herpes or no HIV? well it's <laughs> it's it, the thing is and this isn't a spoiler because it's like the premise of the show is that he thinks he has cancer and then he does he does not but then he perpetuates it like he you know, he's fooling the world or something about it. he has cancer. Oh, okay, okay, that's not. The, but that stops not. being important in like episode two, and it just think, is random. I think the show I'm talking about might be called Lovesick, but it's definitely UK. And yeah, no, I haven't seen that. So I don't have right. something cool. I just have something that like, and we'll finish it because whatever. Like, there's just a few episodes left, and we'll finish Maybe it. Finish two seasons of Riverdale, right? And Robin and I just kind of look at each other every time. We're like, so do we keep going? And we're like, meh. Uh, Dave, yeah, do you have my, anything? My something cool isn't out yet, I don't think. Um, I guess I'll have to keep HBO a little bit longer because uh, Deadwood, they're going to wrap it up with a movie, which is... I saw that. Yeah. I mean, not the but, movie, just that they were going to make it. <laughs> right, yeah, that's uh, maybe next month. I'm not positive on that. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Game of Thrones? Nope. <laughs> yeah, I was very disappointed in that. But... It's already all been said by everybody else. So. <laughs> yeah, there's so much anger. You know what? Before we go into our topic, just we have four creators here. Let's let's spend just a moment talking about this because I think this is interesting. Well, so, I'll tell you what they did wrong. Uh, the, the 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 two main guys, <laughs> the two main guys, wanted off the show for whatever reason. I guess they had better things to do. I don't know what you have better to do than make like one of the best shows in contract money. Yeah, what? they're making a, they're making a Star Wars show for Disney Plus. That's where they're yeah. going, and they got big money for it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they they. I mean, George R. R. Martin said, you know, that this should be like thirteen seasons. 
uh, settled for like eight and they did what? Seven, six. I don't even remember what this last one was. So they just rushed the hell out of it. And it's just awful. Yeah. My, my question on that though is, um, so there's this big online petition to have the season remade, (laughs) to have season eight just remade. And there's like tens of thousands (laughs) <laughs> right, right. Does anybody on this call think that that's a good idea? Petitions asking for something to just be remade while it's still fresh. Unless those petitions are collecting money from the people signing, it's yeah. not going anywhere. <laughs> right. Who's going to foot the hundreds of millions? Well, I, just, I just, just the very idea of it, like how entitled consumers are in 2019 that these like, $150 million productions are like, well, that's just not what I wanted. <laughs> right. And then you have to, like, it's just crazy. Well, to there, 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 there is a sense of betrayal there. This show that has been very good. Uh, obviously that's all subjective. I think it was very good. Um, they just shit the bed on the last season. Like, well, actually, you know, maybe the past couple seasons, whenever they ran out of source material, it started to go wrong. In this season, like you could overlook some of the stuff from like last season, but this season it's just like, well, I think there's a lot of reasons for it for sure, and I think running out of source material is a big thing. But I'm not even talking about the quality issues or anything like that. I'm talking about the, and I get the betrayal, dude. I really do, <laughs> but the, the entitlement that well, you just need to remake it for us to make us happy just seems to me that like, and, and I don't think anybody actually expected that would happen. They just, they just want to bitch and be heard. I well, think that's well, let's <laughs> turn this around. Let's turn this around. If someone came to you and said, Sean, Johnny, the dream engine, the ending sucks. I want you to rewrite the last book. We're going to put a petition out there and have, <laughs> you know, 10,000 people sign this petition. We want a new version of the ending for the series. My reaction would be, well, I'm sorry that you're not happy, but, you know, this is my series. It's my story. This is how <laughs> right, I thought right. the ending should go. Right. I, you know, it's my right. art piece. You don't have to like it, but. Okay, here's how I would actually respond to that. Let's say let's say that there was some some series that we had where we were listening to the the audience and they were telling us, they were giving us a very specific message. They didn't like that we did something. I think that we're such a, a reader audience focused company that we would like look at that and say, okay, well, is there a way we could write this that wouldn't be too hurtful? Like maybe a separate series that answers these questions and we could put a writer on it or something. But the moment a petition is signed, I'm like, fuck you guys. <laughs> the moment a petition is signed, I no longer care about that audience. I just don't, I don't want to help them. You're absolutely right. And I'm the first person to listen to beta readers and people like giving me, you know, when I send a story out for beta readers to look at, I'm the first person to take their comments and suggestions to heart because I want the story to work. But there are still going to be those people who are going to write one-star reviews. And if those people decide... And you can't kill them all. (laughs) No, you can't, no matter how hard you try. Um, But And so you can't please everybody. And I just, I I feel like trying to do that is is, uh, negative. And and I think that for all the people I've seen out there complaining about the end, I've seen said, you know, it wasn't wasn't unexpected. I, I thought the ending went in the direction I expected it to go. Um, so I think we're hearing a vocal minority, not, not necessarily the majority of the viewers. I mean, they, what, they get 30 million per episode or something. 
And we've got what a um, couple hundred thousand people signed the petition. Yeah, that's yeah. that's actually a really good point, Jamie. That I think a lot of people don't necessarily think of is that by I'm going to make a general sweeping statement here, but I think this is proven to usually be true. Is that the people who, um, in a lot of cases, who are out there making noise about something like that in a complaining sense, um, they just they're the loudest. Like the people who are nobody goes. I'm satisfied. Leave it exactly as it is. Great job. Like, you know, people just don't get outraged and announce that. <laughs> I, I think the bit the, the oh yeah, this is the uh the the decade of the uh vocal uh minority. Uh but I think the big winner here in all of this, the person is now looking like a fucking genius is George R. R. Martin for delaying these books because <laughs> now he sees how not oh. <laughs> That's how Dave would have played it. Yeah, he sees, okay, this is what I like from what they did, and this is what they totally fucked up, and the audience hated, so, okay. Yeah, he, can use, he can use their season as beats. George R.R. Martin does seem like quite the people pleaser, though, doesn't he? He's always, what can I do that the people no, but he will doesn't, like? He, he wants to be remembered for this in a good way. Nobody wants, nobody wants their defining legacy to just completely shit the bed at the end. So He I'm should sure have done he, what Mr. Robot did and have Alf guest star. Yeah, my, my whole my whole point is yeah that that did rule actually. My whole point is that I feel like uh, it's such a it's a great time to be a creator for sure. But there's something about like these fandoms that just get so entitled, and it's you know you guys all know Ryan right Ryan Kirk like the way that he approaches um, uh, entertainment I love like I always love watching him have a conversation about some piece of pop art whether it's Avengers or Game of Thrones, like he, he, he doesn't, he wants a certain feeling of a certain experience and he does have a certain expectation, but if it doesn't meet his expectation, he's not like burn them down, <laughs> you know? And yeah, he, the, like Game of Thrones could have been uh, deteriorating for him over time, but it's still a matter of, well, they made, they made art that I appreciated and I watched it and I consumed it and I enjoyed it for eight years. And, like I, I just I wish that there was more of that in the world because and, and Game of Thrones really I think is one of those shows that kicked off this this production frenzy that is bringing so much great content to the streaming services to the various pay channels to all those things that it's given everyone more of a chance an opportunity to get their story out there for a broader audience and and so. You know, it's one of those programs that like it or hate it. And I bagged out on the middle of season two um, because there was exactly one character I cared about. And I got tired of waiting for Arya Stark to show back up in an episode. So um, so I think that we just need to thank it for being what it is and, and giving us an opportunity to now have shows we can talk about binge watching from episode to episode, season to season. Um, on our favorite streaming streaming channels. And it gives us an opportunity to share stories that way. Yeah, my attitude is, I think, a lot like what I'm imagining Ryan's is, as you describe, is I think art is like an eclipse. Like nobody says, well, that eclipse isn't to my satisfaction. It's just, it's out there and you, you, you watch it, you don't watch it, you ignore it, you I talk to your friends I'm, about it. I'm definitely a, an eclipse connoisseur and I've been disappointed <laughs> More than once. I am surprised that when these two guys said, you know, we're done, we want out, we want to go make more money, HBO 
owns the show, right? Why didn't they just hire someone else? They didn't need them. Well, well I, it, was the, it was the showrunner, wasn't it? Yeah, they don't need them. <laughs> they clearly didn't get it right, so they could have hired someone. I, there would have been any number of great fantasy writers that would have jumped at the opportunity to be a part of that. Do you know that they own the show? I mean, I know they paid for the show, but... I don't think those two guys own it. Well, I know they threw a lot of money at whoever to do another season, and they turned it down. So, for whatever reason. I, I know that much from what I've read, but... You know, yeah, hey, I think it, everybody's like got to make their own decision, and maybe the next thing they make for Disney is going to be great. Who knows? We'll we'll have you, to wait. You don't know what happens behind the scenes and stuff like that. And, like, and no fans are easier to please than Star Wars fans. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've heard. Well, the thing about Star Wars is you just have to wait long enough, and then things get better over time. Like the prequels are already better than they were twenty years ago. I mean, that's just it. All right, so why don't we why don't we talk about what we came here to talk about? So maybe a good place to start, uh, Jamie, is just describe sort of where you were when you started publishing and what those first months were like. Wow, taking me back to the good old days of 2014. I <laughs> yeah, believe. you can reminisce. It'll be like yeah, nostalgia. Um, so I, you know, I I had, I had put out a, a nonfiction book on um, medication dosing for paramedics, nurses, and physician students. And um, that had been doing pretty well um, from a nonfiction standpoint. And somebody dared me to write fiction. They said, hey, NaNoWriMo's coming up. <laughs> I, I, I dare you to write a novel in, in one month. Well, you know, I, like you said, I'm not afraid to do the work. So I was like, all right, you're on. I can do this. And um, I wrote the first draft that was awful and ugly and like all first drafts are of the, the first story I wrote, Extreme Medical Services. It sat in the bin for, you know, in, in my hard drive for probably eight, nine months. And then I pulled it out. I edited it, polished it and put it out there and was immensely surprised that it was as successful as it was. Um, it wasn't like an overnight success that, you know, jumped and did, you know, amazing things in the store. But I had an existing audience that I was able to give it to from my podcasting. And medical people actually enjoyed seeing a medical urban fantasy. Um, and so it fit, it fit the niche that I was part of. Um, and then over the next few months, I, people were like, well, where's the next book? So I wrote another book and then I wrote a prequel and, you know, I did all the things kind of stumbling along that uh, people say to do. And in fact, and, and, I, and along the way, I read, write, publish, repeat, which kind of shored up my belief in just getting more content out there because that's what I do as a podcaster is put out more content until it catches hold. And um, so I just kept writing more books filling out the series, trying to satisfy readers with the type of story I like to read and continued to, um, you know, continued to just kind of push forward and, and, and improve with every book. That was my goal. Every time I started writing again was to find something that I could work on to make the next book better in some way. So, I, I mean, let's be clear here. The, the number one thing, well, actually, you know, I have a question before that. So you mentioned you put it out to your existing audience of, um, medical people cause you, uh, you, you know, when, when we first met, you were, you were podcasting and you were, you're a nurse and so you have a medical background and, um, and you talked a lot to that audience, but w did that mess you up 
selling a fictional a fiction book to a bunch of people who weren't necessarily like it's the also bots problem did that come up for you at all well it, it did to an extent um but i didn't know what the problem was so <laughs> it takes a while to figure that one out <laughs> well no i mean i i didn't understand how the algorithm worked so when i started when i machine learning behind the scenes in 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 the amazon engine was looking at my audience but i also think it wasn't horrible because I, I still was getting some traction within urban fantasy, and that's because yeah, they're they're nurses and paramedics and doctors and and but they they also read fiction, and and so the people who liked that kind of book were the ones that were picking it up. So I think enough of them were close enough to that that I got some traction within urban fantasy, um, and then you know started I started doing some marketing and some things like that to to try to push the book into more genre related circles. And, um, and so, you know, eventually I was able to, to, to push some things and, and got a book bub and some other things that came my way and, and it got sticky for a couple of months. And, and that was really when it started to take off. Um, but up to, that was about a year after I released the book. So, you know, in that t- intermeeting timeframe, I would put out a new book and, and release it to my podcast audience. And I'd sell a few thousand copies over a couple of months and, you know, it was making some money. So I, I was kind of happy with it. So here's the question I was going to ask. So the, you know, 90% of success in this field, in our experience, honestly, is doing the work. So you already had um, that going for you. So actually putting in the time and being persistent and having acute and all this, the stuff that honestly, nobody needs to teach you how to do. But um, that said, you, you said you ran across us and you ran across uh, was it the podcast or the book first and and can you tell us a little bit about that uh, we kind of ran across the book the book first um uh, write publish repeat i think was um a nano part of a nano bundle your book um mm. joanna penn mm-hmm. some others um yeah and, david gogren was the third in that right yeah and i picked them all up and read them um write, pu- write publish repeat kind of resonated with me i think because it matched my podcasting background where mm. i you know a podcasting is a lonely job. You know, it's a lonely business. If you, if you, especially if you're doing solo podcasts, I mean, it would just be me, me, me talking to the wall most of the time. <laughs> but I, I believe that if I continued to put content out there and continued to write good articles on my, my blogs, that I would attract an audience. And indeed, that's what I did. So I had experience with that ahead of time. So write, publish, repeat, you know, write the next book, write the next book, write the next book made a lot of sense to me. And so from that, I found the podcast. I started listening to the podcast. I started Sorry. rereading the book and, and did all those things and, and just kept writing the next book. I just kept writing the next book. Um, that's, that's my focus even today. I have a list of where my projects are going to be for the next year, and I know what the next book's going to be all the time. Jamie has had a list of his books for the next year the entire time I've known him. So the, the first time when, when, we, when we worked together... And we were on the phone. He's like, okay, but I've got my books planned out for the next year. And when we were done, he had his books planned out for the next year. And every time he's come to an in-person event, he's got his books planned out for the next year. And that's why every time we see Jamie, he's way ahead of where he was the last time we saw him. Now, I'll also say that his, you know, what I have in the next year changes. Of course it does. Because because he talked to me (laughs) or whatever, like... There's, your plans evolve, but they're always, he has plans to evolve. And I think that's one of the differentiators that's just always made you 
there's never been a time when we've seen you where you haven't leapt forward from the time before. And that is very consistent. And, and something you said is important, Sean. It, plan, it's important to have a plan, but it's also important to have a plan that is flexible to take advantage of opportunities when they present themselves. And, and that's something that I've always tried to do. I, I believe in that, you know, the, that luck is when opportunity and preparedness meet. So the preparedness part is your plan. Um, but when you get an opportunity, like a collaboration project or uh, an opportunity to get a, uh, do a certain marketing project or move into a new genre or something, um, and it seems like it makes sense, then you can, you can adjust the plan. You can, you can fit something in and push some other projects off till later in the year or into the next year. Uh, and it's that flexibility. And I had a talk with another author recently about this very thing. Um, and they were, they were worried about not, they were worried about being too flexible, that, that they, they had trouble with that concept of changing the plan. And, you know, I had a long talk with them about that the plan has to be flexible because things happen. You can't, you're going to miss, you're going to miss deadlines every now and then because life gets in the way, whatever the case may be. And you're going to have opportunities come along that are going to change your plans. And flexibility is the key to a plan that works, honestly, I think. All right. I got, I've got a question for you. I'm, I'm genuinely curious as to how you'll answer this because we were just talking at the beginning about patience, right? As, as an author and how you, you really do have to just kind of put it aside and hope for, um, this is all going to work out. People are going to like my stories. People are going to pay me to write. Um, but do you feel like, uh, how much value do you get from the journey itself? This is something I've been thinking about a lot lately because we always have these destinations, right? These are the things when, when X, Y, and Z are true statements, then my life will be nirvana, right? But it's, it's the path on getting to X, Y, and Z that is often really fulfilling. So how much value do you put in the journey? Because you're always moving. You're always making lists. You're always making goals. And you're always adjusting. So is that just a function of where you actually want to get? Or do you find that the path along the way is rewarding in and of itself? Um, well, the lists and the plans and all those things are not the end goal. Um, and I think that's important. They're, they're, a, they're a roadmap. They're the directions that get you from point A to point Z. Um, but for me, it is the journey. It is, it is writing the stories. It is telling the stories that, that really brings me joy. And I'll give you an example. Um, this past year, I wrote a five-book series that just tanked. Didn't do well at all. Hasn't earned with marketing and everything else I've tried to do. Um, I love the story and I keep looking back at it thinking what would I do different? Um, I, I'm not sure what the problem is, but people don't like it for whatever reason. But, you know, I enjoyed writing those stories. I still remember back being excited while I was writing them. I, I still chuckle when I think about parts of the stories that came up as I was writing. And I, I'm not going to say that it, you know, it's not a financial success, but it certainly was part of my storytelling journey, and and I enjoyed writing them while I we was have on those. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's important. I, I, you know, I have a plan. Sometimes the plan doesn't work. Sometimes you think something is going to be a huge commercial success, and it's not. And and something else you write takes off, and so that's the capriciousness of the marketplace. But if for me, telling the story is still the most important thing. And, and I, as long as I'm enjoying that, I think I'll be just fine. 
And that's the part you you get most joy out of at the beginning, middle, and now going forward. That's still what, no matter what you do, how you scale, that's actually what you want the most, right? Just to become a better storyteller? I think so. I I think that, and and that's why I always try to take every new project, every new book. um, I pick something that an editor has shared with me about something that I needed to work on. I pick one thing and I work on that for the next book. Um, and I started doing that when I worked with you first, Sean, and it, it has been something I've taken with me from there because it's, that's my goal is to tell a better story each and every time. Sometimes it works better than others, but it's still going to be my goal moving forward. Yeah. I'll, I'll stick with that for a second too, because, um, uh, you know, this is like a catalog of things to do, right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, and it's not just enough to say, yeah, Jamie always does the work, but what does that mean? Here's a specific example. So we've had, you know, a, a few authors who have come through here and kind of, you know, learn their, their chops <laughs> and, <clears throat> excuse me. And when, when Jamie came in, the, we did, we did five books together and the first couple, they had a lot of edits as does any author who comes in and, and working. But at some point during the third book, I realized I don't want to do that because psychologically I'm thinking, what's it like to get something back where it's just edit after edit after edit, you get really beat up. And, you know, I'm telling them the same things over and over. That's not constructive. So what I want to do is take one chapter and literally leave a comment on every single line. Like, I think, I think there was every single line, but I just figured, okay, it takes so long to go through a draft, any developmental editor knows this. You go through every draft, and if you're really trying to teach the author, <clears throat> you have to invest a significant amount of time, not just in changing things, but explaining why you change them so that the author can actually internalize that and become a better writer. It doesn't help to just fix a bunch of stuff and not explain why, because then you're not actually improving. There's not even a chance to improve the other person. And so, you know, we're a collaborative company. So it's not just about moving stuff, you know, down the assembly line and getting it to market as fast as possible. It's about taking the time to leave all those comments so that, you know, Jamie can, can grow. And, you know, I, I looked at this wall and I, I think this one chapter probably took like five or six hours, uh, which is a long time. It was like 1500 words, but it was, you know, as close to like a masterclass in developmental editing and, and, hey, here's what we're trying to prove on every sentence as possible. And to Jamie's credit, like that could have, that could have beat him up and he, like overwhelmed, just, oh my God, every, there's something wrong with every sentence? No, but the rest of the book is untouched. <laughs> so you only have to focus on this part. The rest, you could just read the aftermath. And that was the first time that I had ever tried that. And it worked so well with Jamie. It just became one of the, the ways that I teach. Um, but it was all an approach. And a lot of authors, they actually don't want that kind of direct criticism because they want it to be fun. And writing isn't always fun. Sometimes writing's really hard. And Jamie has never shied away from the difficult parts of it, which always makes it um, easy to, to, to want to help people like that. Well, if you, if you want to tell a better story, you need to be able to be willing to improve. And that means that there's some work involved with that. And and, you know, I appreciate all the effort you put into helping me through that, that five book journey. And it set me up well for moving forward in the rest of the books that I've written. Um, but I think that it is, it is paid off in all of the positive reviews and all of the comments and all of those, those moments where readers left the comments. 
saying, Victor, this part of this book made me cry. This part of this book made me laugh out loud. You know, the, all these things I get back that, that tell me that the story worked when it was supposed to work in the way it was supposed to work. And it, that doesn't happen by accident. Uh, and it takes those, those efforts to grind through. And, and I'm in the middle of a major rewrite now, and it was painful getting the information back of that it needed to have a major rewrite, like from the bottom up, start with the beats and change a lot. Um, <laughs> oh, that's the worst. But but I want I I love the concept in the story and I want it to work and it can work. It just I got a lot of things pointed out to me that weren't going to work in the long run, and I needed to make some changes, a lot was, of changes. Was there any anything that you got back that you disagreed with? A few things, and but they were things that were going to change in later parts of the story, like later in the series. And, and I can justify that, but I couldn't justify probably 70% of the, the things that, that I would like to have done anyway. So I had to say, these are going to change. I mean, 60, 70% of a story change is a lie. Oh um, yeah, yeah. That's a rewrite. Okay. So how did you feel about that when you got that? Because, you know, like Dave and I had one recently like that and he's, and it was on in the outline stage actually. And he just said, um, you know what? I'm just going to write a brand new outline. I don't want to fix this. <laughs> I just want to do something new. And that was totally fine. It's about, you know, keeping your, your brain in a good place. So how did you, how did you feel about that? And then what did you do? I got the date. I got the information back and I, I stopped what I was doing. I got in the car and said I was going out to get ice. And mm-hmm. was it from that? Oh, <laughs> And um, and you screamed and punched the steering wheel and drove. My over. wife came <laughs> looking for me because she knew something was wrong. Um, so um, when you have, you know, I, I have a history of depression. She doesn't like it when I'm getting quiet all of a sudden. <laughs> so you know, it it was a punch in the gut. It was hard. It was days, several days of me just not thinking that I did anything right anymore. And, you know, this is book 32. Um, it's not like I haven't written good stories before. So I, I just somehow this one went off the rails and I didn't see it coming. And I, you know, I, I needed to go back and make some changes. And as I went back and, you know, about a week later, I went back and reread the, the, the notes and they were spot on for the most part. You know, even the ones that I disagreed with. I, I love that you went back a week later. Like you put it in the freezer and you're like, you know what? <laughs> I'll come I back to But I didn't do much of anything for that week. It was, it was non-productive time. It was really a punch in the gut. And, and so I, won't, I don't want to tell anybody this is easy that, oh, well, you know, I got no, I, that's, that's a much more criticism and whoop, whoopsie, I can't wait to go and dig into this criticism. No, it was hard. It was really hard. It made me doubt myself for days. Been there. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, Dave, very recently, you know, uh, we got an outline and I tore it apart and then Bonnie tore it apart <laughs> and then we gave it back to Dave because because Dave's really good when you get in the draft, like he'll figure things out, but it's such a wasted procedure. Like if he could figure it out in the outline, he'll be a happier writer. And so figuring that out at the base levels just become a bigger company priority. <laughs> so we, we went through the outline and then that was Dave's exact response to me. He's like, I feel like after all these books, I don't know anything about telling a story. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not true at all. You know a lot about telling a story, but we got to figure it out on the, the baseline first because it just makes every other part of the process easier. 
it's it's so easy to doubt yourself even after 32 books even after 50 even after 10 million words it happens even after several seasons of game of thrones game of thrones. <laughs> right so um I just, you know, we didn't actually do, we, we mentioned like what your, your initial story and stuff, but can you, to whatever degree you're comfortable, Jamie, can you take us through like, cause you had a, you know, success trajectory. Can you give us any, like, just for people who are listening, who are like, well, what kind of successes has this guy had? That sort of thing. Can you elaborate yeah, can on I that? Two, well, two elements to that too, because you had your, you, you did transition out of your day job, even though you don't have right. a traditional day job. You did transition out of that, and we got to see that live, and that was that was exciting. That was a really cool moment. Um, so I'd, I'd love for you to hit that, and then just all the way at the end, like some of the the big revelations that you've had along the way. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about audiobooks because you're that's one where where officially like we got to benefit from you because you're ahead of the curve for us on that. And during our last you know our farewell signature event, you were there and gave us some great advice on audiobook and we doubled down and that was great. So I'd like you to share some of that with everyone too. Well, and I'd, first off, I'd like to kick off with, I've never had a runaway success book. I've never been like that person who just has the series that is stuck, that has stayed in top, you know, 500 and just kicked ass. Don't um, you hate tip, that guy though? Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it is what it is. I consider myself very much a journeyman writer that I, I believe that if I put the work in and write enough books, that enough books in my back catalog will make enough money to pay the bills. And they do. Um, you know, there, some people say it's 20 books. Some people say it's 10 books. You know, for me, it was 25 books. Um, you know, it, it really was, that was where I reached a point where I could say that, you know, things are in the positive channel for me that I can, stop working, cut back on my podcast, do all those things that I wanted to do. Um, and, and so, you know, I reached a point where I was, and, and you guys helped me through this, was seeing that I hated what I was doing as a medical journalist and podcaster. And so you helped me with the realization that that had to go for me to be happy in what I was doing. Um, but do so in a responsible way. Sell off parts of the business that could be sold off and do those things that could be done. So it's not, not a traditional job, but it was very much a job in many ways. And so now I'm, I'm really a full-time writer. I have uh, two podcasts left. I, write, I do a podcast for, for fantasy readers and I do a podcast that, that's for writing. And, and then I do my other podcast that's still the holdover from my medical stuff that as long as the guy wants to keep sponsoring it and pay the bills, I'll you know, I'll spend the four hours a week it takes to do that show. Um, but it is, it is at that moment where I switched to full-time writing that I started ramping up my production and said, all right, if I'm going to be a full-time writer, I'm going to put in full-time hours. I'm going to put my butt in the chair and write, write in the morning and do the marketing in the afternoon because I'm fresh in the morning and creative in the morning. How many days, I mean, how many hours a day do you write? Four to five. And do you do it every day? Uh, pretty much. I, I do less on the weekends, but I still write on the weekends. Um, and, and then I do, I'm either writing or editing in the morning. So I'm either writing or rewriting. And then I'm, and then I'm doing in the afternoon, all the business stuff of writing. Do so you complete one project before going to another one yeah. or, okay. Yeah. I, one, I'm, I, I don't know how people do it. I can't have two stories going on in my head at the same time. I can write, like I can work on like the later parts of an edit in a second book in the first book in the series while I'm writing the first draft of the second book. But 
that's about as close as I can get to doing two things at the same time. Um, and, and, and so I just push through and keep writing and keep writing the next book. I, people ask me how to, how to sell more books. I say, write more books. Um, because I think that's what's worked for me. And that's is my belief in the back catalog, um, in having, uh, you know, more books out there. Every book is another point of presence for someone to find me. Every book is more royalties every month. Um, and, and all that adds up over time. So that's the beginning of my journey. Um, I want people to say, you know, understand I'm not, you know, the, the people that are lighting up the urban fantasy world. And I always seem to have a top 100 Amazon book and, and are just killing it all no, the but, time. But that's what makes you actually more special because it's really just, I go to work every day. I do the work and it pays off. Like it's not, that's, that's very achievable. Yeah. And, and I think it is. I, I think it's something you, people can replicate. Um, before that, I was writing two or three hours a day, um, finding the time to write two or three hours a day every day um, to put out more books to the point that I could become full time. Um, and, and so that was that was my goal. I sometimes I made it. Sometimes I didn't. But when I was working on other things and working in the other job, that was what I tried to do. For you, for people out there, it might be a half hour a day or an hour a day. But Find a number that works for you and stick to it. It's that consistent, persistent effort that I'm focused on. And it, it's that that I want to use to build my writing business. And if it takes 100 books for me to make mid six figures a year, well, then it takes 100 books for me to do that. You know, I want to do that, but I'll write as many books as it takes to reach that point. Um, that, it'd be nice to have a huge success along the way series that becomes a flagship series and sells itself and catches the algorithm and all the other things that you try to do. But at the end of the day, I'm just going to write the next book. And, You're and, focusing on the things you can actually control. Right. I right. think the, the bottom line here is it allows you to be a full-time writer since, you know, we don't want to go into a lot of that. What, what about the audio um, that Sean was asking about? So the biggest thing that I that I made a difference for me recently is um, I happened to see a presentation um, with Kalytics pointing out the sh market share growth over the last year of different segments of the book marketplace, um, and it looked at eBooks, it looked at um, hardcovers, paperbacks, it looked at traditional publishing versus indie publishing, it looked at all that, and it included audiobooks and they just kind of made an offhand comment, the guy presenting, he said, well, well, hey, look, then, and here's audiobooks over here. And that grew like 41% over the year. And it's look, projected to grow even more next year. And that's probably the fastest growing part of the marketplace. But let's go back over here and look at eBooks. And, you know, and meanwhile, I, I didn't hear the rest of the presentation because I'm staring at that slide and took a picture of it with my camera and circled the audiobooks because that was something I considered working on. And, and I decided that it was something I could do. Again, do the things you can impact. And so I invested in my first audiobook. I took my most popular book and made it into an audiobook and waited until that book started earning back and then invested that money into the next audiobook, the next book in that series, and so on. Um, and what I found was that as I did that, and just invested the money back in from each audiobook that by the end of the year, I was producing books back to back to back to back. Um, and by the beginning of 2019, my audiobook income was matching my ebook income. Um, and I'm still investing that money back in 
And so now I have two books going all the time um, to, to try to fill out the rest of my catalog. And my goal by the end of this year is to have every book I have that isn't currently in production out in audiobook, um, all of my back catalog out there because it's not earning. It is, and, and I, I really started digging into learning about the audiobook marketplace. And what I found was it is an underserved market from the stand of the consumers. Everyone is focused on being exclusive everywhere. Everyone assumes that Audible is as big as KU is, um, and it's not. It, it, does, it is the biggest single platform in the marketplace, but the uh, last numbers I saw was like 50, 60%. Um, that's not anywhere near the 85, 90% or more that KU has and Amazon and KU have in the ebook marketplace. And so you're leaving money on the table if you don't go wide in the audiobook marketplace, in my opinion. And the biggest portion of that is libraries. Libraries are starved for content. And you, people are like, well, I don't want to give my book away. Well, you don't. You sell your book to the library. They give it away. Um, <laughs> you know, and, Amazing and, how that works. Yeah. And, and so um, there's some, a lot of the library systems for audiobooks and ebooks out there are pay per checkout. So you get paid every time someone checks your book out. And you can market to that. You can tell people, you can tell your readers, hey, if you like to listen to audiobooks but think they're too expensive, did you know all of my audiobooks are available at your local library? And that's easy to do. And it doesn't cost them anything. They go check out my book. Most of them can do it right from the convenience of their computer at home because if they have an account with the library, they can do it over the internet. They get the book into their app and they can listen to it. And guess what? I make like a buck 35 between a buck 35 and a buck 50 on every time someone checks a book out. Um, and that's huge. And it is libraries have become like 40% of my audio audiobook income right now. Okay. That's a huge number. Everybody 40%. That's, that's amazing. So again, I mean, I know you shared that with us once already, but thank you. That's awesome. So, I mean, I just want people to understand that the lesson here is not go audiobook. That's not the lesson. The lesson is keep your eyes open to changes in the marketplace. Keep your eyes open for opportunities that will show you where the marketplace is going and maybe try to get ahead of the curve. It, it, doesn't, it just means paying attention. Um, and, and I think that that's what I, what I was able to do was see that. And yes, audiobooks, I think, is still a right marketplace. I think it's still a strong opportunity for people because... Um, a lot of people still aren't putting their books out in the wide marketplace. So there's, it's a much smaller pool to swim in. Um, even in Audible itself, uh, uh, the, the swords and sorcery category, I think, has like a, right around a thousand titles. You know, if you look in that same category in Amazon, it's like a hundred thousand titles. Hmm. So that's, I think, that's, I think, the, the thing to think about here is you're still in a smaller pool. And so it's more opportunity for visibility. It's more opportunity to break out. What um, what would you consider to be some other sort of keys of keys of success? Um, I, I think I've really hit hit them from my standpoint. I I just think consistent, persistent effort is the number one thing that will build success. Uh, you just can't give up, and and you're going to hit hurdles along the way. You're going to have people return books and you know to you and that are beta readers and tell you this sucks. You got to rewrite the whole story. Those things are going to happen. You have to take them as the hurdles they are and, and find a way through it and around it and keep going. Um, that's, that's really, I think, the most important thing. And then just 
pay attention, listen to podcasts, read books, read articles and blog posts and, and take everything with a grain of salt, but look for that, that little nugget of truth that is cropping up in the marketplace that'll tell you where the next opportunity might be for you. And it might be, it might be performance audiobooks with a, with a cast of people. That might be the next new thing. I don't know what it's going to be. Um, it might be, um, you know, it might be a more of a, a, a animated audio, a man, animated ebook format, um, more, more like a graphic novel. You know, there's all kinds of things that haven't been tried in the marketplace as much yet. And there's so many things you can do with a digital format that you just kind of have to keep your eyes open and see what's coming along and see what's out there and see what fits with your unique set of skills and talents and, and run with it. Hmm. All right. Any, um, Final things that you guys wanted to ask before we go? Um, no, I just wanted to say thank you. <laughs> I mean, thank you for not just always doing the work, which you've always been great about, but always sharing. Like you're just, you're so generous with um, with your spirit and what you learn. And you just, I've never seen you be competitive or have scarcity and think that if I share this, I, other authors are going to steal all my gold doubloons or anything. Like you're just, you play full out. And I, I've always loved that about you. Well, I, I'm an open book. I, if anyone wants to know the mistakes, the latest mistake I've made, just reach out to me. I'll be happy to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I do have one question. Going going back to what you were saying about depression, uh, when you when you are in the worst points of depression, how do you uh, how do you separate that from your writing? Like you still need to show up and write. How do you? How do you get out of feeling like you're shit and still write and like feel good enough to write? Um, recently, I realized I was in the house too much because, um, you know, it's a solitary job. And um, I live in a small town. There's not much to do here. I mean, it used to be all you could do is go and write in McDonald's. Um, but we have, a, we have a coffee shop that opened in the last year. It's really popular. It's kind of hip and, and nice to, you know, pleasant to sit in. And so a couple times a week I go, even though I don't feel like going out, I, I go, you know, I put on actual clothes and don't sit around in sweatpants. <laughs> and, you know, I go out with my computer. And what I usually do is I try to, I take a chapter that needs editing, uh, a couple of chapters that need editing. And I'll sit there for an hour, an hour and a half and just sit in public. I don't talk to anybody. Um, you know, if I see somebody I know, I kind of wave to them and go back to work so they know I'm doing something. And, um, but being out in public and being around people seems to pull me out of some of that darkness. Um, it, I don't know that works for everybody. But Does I, being I know, around people work for you, Dave? Depends on the people. <laughs> well, and like I said, I don't, I don't engage with them. I, I, I really say focused on my work um, because I'm there to work. But at least I'm out around physically around people. And, and sometimes, you know, that gives me the opportunity to see funny things happen or, you know, just people in general and people watch a little bit. Um, so that's what's worked for me lately. Um, you know, I, I think everybody, you know, anybody dealing with a clinical depression issue um, out there should make sure that they have some level of professional assistance whether that's counseling, whether that's a, a, a psychiatrist with some meds or a combination of the two um, or a group or something, um, that's just really valuable. Um, and, and so, you know, as the nurse, <laughs> this is the nurse, Jamie talking, but, um, you know, 
take advantage of the opportunity to, to seek help and get, get some help. And then let that person, that counselor, help you figure out what is your coffee shop? What is your thing that can help pull you out of the depression? Um, and, and they'll be able to the trick that works for you specifically, because my trick may not work. It works for me. And actually, it works right now. It might not work this time next year, and I'll have to find something else. But um, that's what's working for now. Okay, thanks. All right. Well, um, thanks so much for being on, Jamie. I just remind everybody that the Smarter Artist Locker, which is a collection of uh, five of our books on how to do this stuff, is available now. I don't know when you get this as far as the price, whether it's gone up or not, but that's at sterlingandstone.net slash locker, uh, five books. All right. So uh, thank you, Jamie. Thank you, everybody. And um, I guess we'll see you guys next time. Thanks, Amy. Adios, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you.